Welcome to episode 236 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. For our podcast this week, we're going to chat about the future of education and skills that our children may need for the next economy. A recent article featured on the World Economic Forum website uh, was entitled, Forget Coding, We Need to Teach Our Kids How to Dream, and it argued that attributes like relationships, curiosity, agility, creativity, and empathy would be more important for the economy of 2030 rather than skills that could very well be subsumed by machine automation, uh, like, for instance, the aforementioned coding. So I thought that was a a interesting way to frame this discussion of you know wh- what it is that 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 kids should be learning to deal with you know the chaotic soup that is the you know the emerging next economy and and how do we really prepare kids to um, uh, to survive and thrive in a uh, you know, economic scenario where so much is uncertain, driven driven by any number of factors. You know, emerging technologies being just just one mm-hmm. of those, and and I think this is a key discussion. Education. This is an absolutely key discussion uh, for the future of our economy and for really the future of uh, our work. Whether you're you know talking about uh, our kids or or even if you're talking about. Um, people who are working right now, um, I, I, I think it's it's going to affect us all and is already affecting us. Uh, so, so I thought that was a, a terrific jumping off point, Dirk, for for our podcast today. And um, you know, let, let, let me start by uh, there's so many things to touch on here, but. Uh, I'll start off by talking about one of the things that I'm really passionate about, uh, which is this idea of learning constantly, right? So, so you have the example of, let's just call it our parents' generation, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, this idea that your job is this place you can go for 30 years and retire with with a pension. You know, you 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 uh, move up the food chain a little bit, and then you, then you stay and sort of grind it out. Um, and then, that's a really old concept at this point. Yeah, to be clear, uh, uh, really old. But but to be fair, that's I mean that that was I mean for for some of our parents' generation, at, at least the maybe maybe the ones who who got lucky. Um, that that was true. Let's say for baby boomers, sure. Because it's not true for us as Gen Xers. No, no, yeah. no, no. no. It, it's not true at all. Um, but we Gen Xers are the parents of. Some of the people who are listening to this show. Well, yeah, I guess let's get into disturbing territory here. <laughs> um, I had never considered that. Thanks for uh, raining on my sunny day. Yeah. So uh, that that being said, that that you know, you know, my parents' generation uh, had this this job permanence or potential job permanence. Um, I think. Of course, you know we've already debunked that um, uh, possibility for for Gen X and and uh, moving upward, you know, through millennials and Generation Next and 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 all of them to, down to our our kids uh, uh, today. And part of what I think is going to be key uh, for and I, I, I you know when when I give uh, lectures at 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 uh, universities, I. 
I talk about this a lot. I say, you know, you may get your degree, but you're not going to be done learning. Like uh, mm -hmm. getting your degree is is sort of the privilege of having this full time capacity to to be learning. Right. You're in this position now where you're learning all the time. You you know, and that's your job is to learn. Yeah. Uh, as you go into the workforce, you're going to need to constantly be learning and you're also going to have to work, you know, whatever hours your your job entails in addition to that. And one thing I recommend is having a couple of different um, learning systems established, you know, that the, they can develop throughout their, their university years. Um, and, you know, whether that is, you know, hey, I, I, I really like um, you know, reading about something and then I, I blog about it. You know, I'm just making this up. Like, like I take the things that I learned in a book and I write a summary and a critique, right? That's how I ingest and digest, you know, the, the information, or perhaps you're more of a hands-on learner. Maybe your technique is, uh, you go on do some tutorials and you build something, right? Like what is your learning system? How, how is it that you take in new technologies, new ideas, test them out, incorporate them in your day-to-day -day workflow? Like what, what are the methods that you use? Um, I tend to prefer uh, things, you know, like like hard copy books, right? And and part of the reason is I get to draw all over them. I get to highlight them. I get to circle things, write in the margins, etc. Um, and that's a very tact tactile and um, physical way for for me to help embed that information in my brain. If if I don't. Um, if I don't do that, I don't get the same quality of learning. So I've over time developed, you know, three or four different things that reinforce learning that create a cycle for me so I can take in new information and, like I said, incorporate that into um, in, into my, you know, day-to-day -day life. So, so I really suggest to, you know, any, any students in the classroom when I'm, you know, giving this talk that they uh, – that they do the same and that they might they might have their own ways of of doing it but that you have this system that's uh replicable and uh that you can build on um so so w with that in mind Dirk you know how how do you learn how do how do you see um yourself taking in new information um because i i know you've you've changed the things you do a number of times and 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 really taken different perspectives on things and and had many different uh skill sets that you've brought to bear yeah i mean i learned from experience and uh you know the the sort of short uh, elevator pitch of myself that i give to people is that i'm endlessly curious but immediately bored and you know my life is sort of a reflection of that um but those those things that i've learned are through experiencing them they're not through reading books they're not through attending classes Whenever I'm in a context that forces me to read books or attend classes, my performance is underwhelming. Um, but if you just leave me alone to explore what interests me, my performance is generally quite good. Um, but that's idiosyncratic to me. I mean, the article was was talking about, you know, taking a new look at education. And you, know, you were talking about, I think, some, some very smart approaches of identifying learning styles and, and creating, you know, creating system of lifelong learning. And that... That all makes a lot of sense. And the things that the article that you pointed us to were talking about make sense too. My, my concern with all of it, though, is even though it's, it's smart and it does make sense from where we're at today, I think, I think it's a very sort of techno-utopic way of looking at things. Um, 
it's it's you know and like let's focus on the article more so because I think the article gave good grist to talk against this. Um, you know, the article is very wisely saying by 2030, we don't know what kind of things we're going to be doing. We don't know what kind of skills we're going to need. So let's develop imagination. Let's develop curiosity. And that's where it falls down for me because we really don't know what we're going to be doing in 2030. And there's, uh, you know, there's a non-zero chance that by 2030, we're at a point where not everyone needs to work and that's okay. Uh, that we've we've changed where socially, instead of saying everyone should be gainfully employed, we say, no, you know, the, our our country's success, the world's success, however we're we're framing the macro and the micro at that point in time, uh, maybe we, we don't need or maybe even don't want everyone to be to be employed in those ways. Um, that could be our our children looking at their Gen X parents and saying, yeah, our parents had this weird notion that you had to be working and what the hell is up with that? Um, I, I think there's a, a reasonable chance that that's a possibility too. And in that context, I don't know that imagination and curiosity are the best things. My curiosity has created instability in my life. My curiosity has gotten me in trouble a lot in my life. Um, you know, education is something very near and dear to my heart. I mean, I I gave my first public talk on this in, in 2011 called Time and Tools for Change. And at that time, and, and I still frankly believe this, I was on stage, I was saying, fuck STEM, man, fuck STEM. We're all wrapped up in STEM. And at the same time, more than half of all marriages end in divorce. We have, I don't know, what is it, one in five or one in four women who go to a college or university will be the victim of attempted sexual assault. Um, there, there's all of these statistics horrible statistics about how socially broken we are. You know, with marriage, we make the biggest commitment uh, one person can make to another person, the biggest fucking promise. And more than half of the time, that biggest promise is reneged upon. You know, the the, the crimes that I mentioned before uh, have the potential to, to scar and change the entire rest and trajectory of someone's life for being a victim of that. These are, these are horrific things. So I don't want us talking about curiosity and imagination. I want us talking about relationship skills. I want us talking about uh, controlling our, um, you know, controlling our impulses, controlling our needs. I want us to talk about figuring out how as, as a social system to not have crimes being perpetrated, to not have a system forcing us to make these big, grandiose promises and then and then breaking them. Um, to me, that's where education needs to shift. It needs to shift away from uh, one plus two and, uh, you know, um, uh, E equals MC squared to how in the hell do we do we have productive relationships with one another? How do we live in a way so that we're not we're not criminals? I mean, the you know there was when I when I did the research in in 2011. There's a category of crimes, and I won't get the term right anymore. But it's it's like um, something violent crimes, the the worst of the violent crimes. The number one predictor of if someone is such a criminal is are they male or not. The number two predictor is what is their age group. The number three predictor is what is their socioeconomic status. Like we can counter, you know, reverse engineer who, why horrible things are happening in our world. And we can address those horrible things. But we're not talking about that. We're saying, yay, STEM, yay, imagination, yay, inspiration, yay, curiosity. And, and we're leaving behind and ignoring the, the most important things of all, which are protecting each other and nurturing each other and, 
and creating systems where we're living in better ways. And that's going to be relevant if we are doing the exact same jobs in 2030 as we're doing today, or we're doing totally different jobs, or we're doing no jobs at all. This other stuff is totally speculative. And having us learn about creativity and imagination, to me, is just as vapid as having us learn about STEM. So a lot there, Dirk, for me to react to. I think to start with, I would say that there's the very valid point that our social and uh, societal interactions are busted in a a number of different ways, sort of systems piled upon systems that sort of perpetuate the scenarios you talked about. And then also in attempting to fix them, uh, sometimes, you know, uh, making things, maybe not making things worse, but but certainly not making things any better. I think that, you know, I, w- I want to go back to what you were saying about there not being a need for for everybody to, to work or or for for a, uh, a a part of people not having to work in this uh, uh, sort of 2030 and beyond next economy. I actually think that the way we've defined work is very, very narrow, given our sort of post-industrial, like uh, sort of digital, mm. uh, digital economy now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I and and to speak to your point about the social from a different angle, um, I think we've actually um, made it very difficult uh, to do the kinds of things you're talking about. Um, you know, uh, sort sort of paying attention to to social systems because as we're moving into this you know digital world, a lot of the fundamental uh, organizations that made up the industrial eye, you know, the the industrial economy, uh, whether you're talking about uh, uh, groups like uh, your your church or the Lions Group or uh, um, uh, What's a church, you, John? What's oh, a lions group? Right, or what or, are or, or unions, right? So social groups are, you know, all of these groups are declining in uh, sort of sort of in influence and membership, etc. And there aren't really well-established ways of of coming together in various communities yet that have evolved in in the digital age, which is not to say that we don't have pieces and parts of that. There are certainly all kinds of vibrant online communities. There's um, uh, different ways to fundraise for for people who who may have a need. There's there's ways to communicate about very specialized interests. So so creating community exists, but we're we're not yet to the point where we have these institutions or 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 ways for for us to come together around specific uh, social and. Uh, moral ideas. Well, the communities that exist are dysfunctional. I mean, there's, they they tie social networking to suicide rates in in teens. The more they use social networking, the more likely they are to commit suicide, the more likely they are to be depressed. So the digital tools of organization and community are are largely broken. And I mean, going away from statistics and, and making it specific, I find Facebook and Twitter to be nothing but demoralizing. You know, there's some sort of professional obligation, at least on the Twitter side, to check in periodically. Just It just makes me sad. It's just a lot of people trying to puff themselves up or taking these really strong sort of not well-thought positions on, on topics. And I just come away feeling odd. I'm like, I don't even know what to contribute to this. Like, it just makes me feel smaller and worse and 
and and less positive about humanity. It's really bad. Yeah, actually, I mean, that's probably an entire podcast in and of itself. But yeah, there's sort of the underlying uh, underbelly that gets exposed uh, on on Twitter and an awful lot, especially in this in this polarized age that you know is kind of just very difficult to take. I, I wanted to, you know, circle back to the idea that that we've defined work in a, in a, in a very narrow way mm-hmm, and are mm-hmm. really not. That, so, so I think my point there is that we're not including in that definition uh, a lot of care, I'll call it caregiving work, that is really critical uh, to, you know, you know, our communities, our states, our, our, our nation. And I, I think part of that goes to you know what you what you were talking about having you know this focus on you know uh, relationships whether they're you know one to one or or one to many as in a community and I do think that if there is the ability for you know some solutions like universal basic income have been suggested as ways that people could uh, have income and then devote their time to something like, I don't know, taking care of their parents or, uh, you know, who, who may be elderly or, you know, volunteering at, at the Y and, and, and coaching. It's not going to work that way. People aren't going to choose to take care of their elderly parents or volunteer at the Y. Some of us will, but many of us won't. I, you know, there's, there's no rocket science there. That's the danger um, with, with those sort of situations is counting on people to take to take their time and to put it into things that are productive is setting those people up to fail. We need to acknowledge that many people would do non-productive things with their time if left with their time, and maybe that's okay. Maybe it's just okay. Maybe they're not sloths and and vagabonds and 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 drains. Maybe that's the reality of the human condition for some proportion of of humans. Maybe it's all right. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting take. I, I I think there is a huge chunk of people who the aforementioned uh, scenarios where that would be absolutely critical. I mean, who who would who would probably have healthier um, lives if they if they were able to focus on on those caregiving uh, uh, routines? But, but John, what's the huge chunk? I mean. Uh, look, if, if I were picking a percentage, let me put it on myself first, and then I'll put mm-hmm. it on to you. Uh, if I was picking a percentage of people who I thought, if they were given a universal basic income and didn't have to work, would put their time into community building, volunteering, um, sort of uncomfortable, difficult family responsibilities, it would definitely be under 50%. Um, 20% might be a little too cynical, but 40% would be the top of my range. I'd be in the 20 to 40% on that. To me, that's not a huge chunk by any means. What's your huge chunk? Yeah, I mean, just from my own, ex, you know, ex, experience, which of course is anecdotal. I mean, and is about you, someone who's a high functioning, well compensated, high performing individual. I mean, don't put the world through that lens. Uh, yeah, well, uh, in in because you're going to be disappointed, John. Yeah, I mean. Uh, I guess I I know a lot of individuals who could benefit from having, uh, you know, the work uh, time available to them to, you know, specifically to, you know, take care of uh, parents who, you know, who need that kind of help. Uh, in fact, I, I'm pretty sure there, there are very few of, of uh, friends in my immediate circle who, who wouldn't. 
who, who are affluent, high performing. I mean, it's you're, you're looking at a very um, vanilla group, right? And it's a great group. I mean, if only people were high performing and all, all of these things, but most people are not. And so I, I'd be careful about extrapolating that to the general public, John. Yeah, I, there's, you know, we we also have worked with a number of clients in the in the in the healthcare slash caregiving space. So so I know that the need is there, and certainly people are working the equivalent of quote two jobs, right? Mm-hmm. So they have their nine to five, and then they take their family leave. Uh, time or or vacation time or whatever to to tackle some of these issues. Yeah. Um, I, I I think the larger point around you know educating people um, though does does for both of us does come back to the idea of uh, stronger ability to to relate to one another both in the uh, you know one to one and community. I do think that as and I agree with your point about about technology that, um, you know, it's it's great that we're moving so quickly, but we are um, disrupting all kinds of of uh, societal systems along the way. And we we absolutely need to incorporate that into our our education um, and as part of our focus, really, as as a country. Otherwise, uh, I think we're we're going to have a weird space where, uh, I mean, and we're probably already in that space where 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 things are disrupted and and we don't really know uh, how to behave and and what to do next. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com. That's just one L in the digital life. And go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody. So it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you'd like to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by GoInvo, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at DNemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 236 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.